No? Hey, hello. Uh, Ella's story is wonderful, isn't it? Let's give her another round of applause for sharing her story. Hey, well done, Ella. Ella was baptised uh, a few months ago in our 5pm service as well, so it was, it's awesome to celebrate and hear what God's doing in the life of people in our community, and uh, we'd encourage anyone, actually, who feels like you want to share what God's doing in your life to do so. Um, we love sharing stories at Door of Hope, and you can uh, do that by scanning the QR code in front of you. There's a little button there that you can share your story, and um, we would love to hear from you, whether you think it's a big story or just a little story, whatever God is doing in your life, it's worth sharing. It's worth sharing with people, and uh, we love to do that. So, good on you, Ella. It was great. We are at the end of our three-week series where we've been looking at the Bible that Jesus loved. And uh, we call it now the Old Testament, but uh, the Bible that Jesus loved, and we're working, we've been working through a passage in Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20 where Jesus talks about his Bible. And uh, we started off, we looked at, uh, in verse 17, where Jesus said he was here to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish them. And we said that rather than throwing out the old to embrace the new, Jesus was the climax to God's story. And the Old Testament is kind of like the backstory that points to and directs us to that climax. And we said that without that backstory, the climax kind of doesn't really carry its full weight of meaning for us. Uh, We can't really fully appreciate that moment unless we know the context that it was in. In fact, uh, when as Christians we perhaps skip over the Old Testament all the time in our Bible reading and just, just focus on the New Testament it's actually kind of like fast-forwarding through all the Star Wars movies just to get to that one moment where Darth Vader says that line to Luke Skywalker, and uh, then we're kind of satisfied at that. And we, we kind of know the facts of what happens in that moment because we, we watch it, we can read it, we can see it, but we completely miss the weight of impact behind that moment. We, we, we don't grasp the meaning, the emotion, the flow-on effects of that moment. So we shouldn't throw out the old to embrace the new. And then we looked at verses 18 and 19 of this passage, where Jesus says that not a single jot or tittle, do you remember what a tittle is? It's the little dot above the I, above the J, at least in English. And Jesus says not a single one of these would disappear from the law until everything was accomplished. And we had a look at some Old Testament laws, didn't we? And we asked the question, what is Jesus saying here? What is he really saying? What's he referring to? And we had a look at what else Jesus said about Old Testament law and actually discovered that most of the time Jesus would address the underlying heart issues that the law was focused on. The, the, the bit below the surface, God's underlying intent for those laws, rather than necessarily just the laws uh, individually on their own. And we paid close attention to the idea that the purpose of Old Testament law was 
for God's people to know how to be God's people. God's desire was that for His, His chosen people to represent Him to all the nations around them. And in order to do that well, they had to be different from all the nations around them, right? They had to be set apart. They had to be built different. (laughs) They had to be made holy. That's what God calls being made holy. So the Old Testament law was God's way of helping His people know what this looked like. And they had been in slavery for 400-odd years in Egypt, and they were heading towards a new land in which they would have to start again as God's people. And God had taken them out of this terrible situation in Egypt, but He loved them way too much to just make them work out how to be His people on their own. He loved them way too much for that. And so He provided some careful instructions as to how to love Him well in the midst of of neighboring nations who had all sorts of other gods and ways to worship them. He gave them instructions on how to love each other really well in the, in the midst of nations around them that would do all sorts of crazy things. How to be set apart so that they could represent Him to the rest of the world. And then we said that because Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, that's what he says in verse 17, no longer are we made holy by simply following the Old Testament law, but we are now made holy by accepting the grace and the love of the one who has fulfilled that law, Jesus. And now, if we want to know how to love God well and how to love others well, Jesus is our example to follow. But rather than having been discarded or made obsolete, the Old Testament, through Jesus' lenses, has now been repurposed for us in a couple of ways. It it reminds us just simply how sinful we are (laughs) and that we we just don't get it right all the time and that we need God's Son, Jesus, and His grace and His mercy in our lives, because we can't do it in our own strength. And the other purpose, of course, of giving the climax to God's story, the context that it needs to share the depth of meaning and emotion for us. So today we wrap up this series, and uh, we're going to focus on verse 20 in this passage, but uh, before we do, I'm just going to read the whole passage once again to get us all on the same page. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here's our verse for today. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This last line of Jesus is is actually shocking. 
It's actually shocking. Let's have a look at this, some of this backstory for a moment. The Old Testament law, as we've said, is given to God's people through Moses so that they could learn how to be His people. And in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the books of the law that Jesus is referring to here, Moses says this to the people. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. The term righteous, all throughout the Old Testament actually, is used to describe someone who is legally and ethically good. Legally and ethically right. Someone who lives up to God's standard of living. Uh, Noah was referred to as righteous. Abraham was referred to as righteous because of his faith. Uh, people um, called themselves, described themselves as righteous. Sometimes we read about uh, people saying, uh, so-and-so is more righteous than I, or, or the opposite, I am more righteous than so-and-so. But it had to do with how well that person lived up to God's standard of living. God, of course, was considered the most righteous, the perfect righteousness. And so it made sense that if I wanted to be acceptable to God and right with Him, then I had to become righteous by following His law and living up to His standard of living. Righteousness became a way to describe a high standard of adherence to the law. And, and therefore, if someone wanted to be right with God, they had to do all the right things and they had to not do all the wrong things in order to be righteous enough or good enough. And by the time we arrive in God's story to Jesus, there are local religious leaders, groups of, actually different groups of religious leaders, some called the scribes, who are essentially experts in the law. They knew the law back to front, inside out, left to right, they knew it, every word of it. In fact, they uh, were kind of consultants for important people on how to interpret the law, and they taught others the law. They knew every single jot and tittle <laughs> of it. And then we have another group of religious uh, leaders called the Pharisees, who, who were famous for their passionate adherence to the law. They, they were the best at ticking every one of the 613 laws that they had and making sure that not one of them was missed, that they had every single one of them down. So when Jesus says this statement in verse 20, unless your righteousness, that's level of living to God's standard, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Everyone listening to that sentence at that moment would have just, it would have been like a gut punch moment. Have you ever had a gut punch moment? Maybe, maybe you've re received some sudden bad news. Maybe, maybe something completely unexpected has happened and your, your guts just, they just go, ugh, and you can just feel it all over. I can imagine the people listening to Jesus right in this moment, that's what they're feeling. If the scribes, 
who are the leading experts in the law and know it back to front better than anyone, and the Pharisees, who are the best obeyers of the law and most passionate about obeying it, if they're not good enough, what chance do I have? And this is absolutely terrifying for the people listening to this. This statement of Jesus would have induced an audible gasp. I don't think I heard anyone gasp before when we read that. (laughs) But in that moment, people would have been shocked. Some people would have been frightened to death. Some people would have been absolutely angry and stormed off and never to see or listen to Jesus ever again. This was a bombshell of bombshells. You see, here's the problem with righteousness, at least as they defined it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, surely there is no one on earth so righteous as to do good without ever sinning. For humans, at least, righteousness was temporary. We could be right with God for a moment and do all the right things, but sooner or later, we would think the wrong thing. We would say the wrong thing. We would behave how we shouldn't behave. And it would all, it would all come apart. And throughout the Old Testament, the people would have ways, God graciously gave them ways to make amends for their wrongs by uh, sacrifices and various other things that they had to do, and then they would be right with Him again, until they weren't again. Righteousness was temporary. But just in the way that Jesus says these words, I think we can kind of tell that He's actually doing like a classic Jesus move here. <laughs> he's addressing something deeper. He's, he's addressing something deeper than what we see on the surface. He's calling people to something deeper than what perhaps they already understand. You see, since Moses, so between Moses and Jesus, there's a period of about 1,400 years or so, And over that time, the Jewish people had slightly redefined righteousness to be something external, something that was dependent on the self to achieve by doing certain things and not doing other things. And Jesus flips it. He turns it right around. Yes, God still requires righteousness. God still requires His people to be right with Him. But Jesus redefines the kind of righteousness that God requires. Remember what Jesus says about Old Testament law, that essentially it exists to address issues of the heart. It's about primarily who we are more than necessarily what we do or don't do. 
It's about becoming like God, not simply behaving in a certain way. Righteousness, as Jesus describes here, is actually an internal state of our heart rather than an external state of our behaviour. And therefore, no amount of law abiding on its own will ever make us good enough. The scribes and the Pharisees were the absolute best at it, and even they weren't good enough. Jesus is calling his followers, both then and now, to a deeper level of righteousness. A righteousness that exceeds that of the best law abiders in the whole world. A righteousness that matches God's desire for our lives. The kind of righteousness that we cannot achieve on our own. Writing to the church in Rome, which at this point was a church that had a combination of um, Gentile Christians, Christians who um, didn't grow up as Jews, but also lots and lots of Jewish Christians as well who knew the Old Testament really well, but who believed in the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul writes these words. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in Him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record of sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, He put us in right standing with Himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be. And He did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in Him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with Himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins He had so patiently endured. And this is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in His rightness. God loved His people Israel too much to make them figure out how to be His people on their own, so He gave them careful instructions on how to do it. God loves us way too much to make us figure this out, how to be his people on our own. And so he gave us Jesus. Jesus makes us right in God's eyes. He has fulfilled the purpose of every dot and tittle of the Old Testament by becoming our righteousness, making us holy, setting us apart through faith in him, 
not as a result of our outward behaviours. Paul explains it again to a different church like this in Philippians. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. See, sometimes I think on face value, maybe sometimes we get the impression that the Old Testament, the Bible, the Bible that Jesus loved, is all about external righteousness. We, we just assume that it's about a list of do's and don'ts. What to do, what not to do. But the Old Testament with Jesus' lenses on now shows us God's true desire. Internal righteousness. A rightness of the heart. And that whole backstory points to the climax of Jesus who provides what we cannot obtain on our own. You see, not only can we now put Jesus' lenses on to see God's heart in the Old Testament, but God puts on Jesus' lenses to see our heart as righteous. But of course, that's not the end of the story. It's not the end. Because until Jesus returns to judge the world and to create a new heaven and a new earth for all who have accepted Him, God still desires His people to be holy, to be made different, to be set apart, so that we can represent Him well to every nation around us, every other group of people we come into contact with. And the question for all of us is this, with our hearts now made right with God through Jesus, through faith in Him, are we willing to partner with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing process to be transformed from the inside out? Not by ticking boxes of rules and regulations, but becoming more and more like Jesus in a process that actually takes us and lasts the rest of our lives. A process where the internal righteousness of our heart starts to be reflected in the external behaviours of our lives. Remember, He loves us way too much to make us figure this out on our own. Isn't that good? This is what Jesus is all about. This is what the Bible that Jesus loved is all about. And this is what the Bible that we have is all about. I want to make us two invitations today that I think will just wrap up this series really strongly for us. The first invitation is for people who maybe you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but whether by choice or by habit, over time perhaps you found yourself distant from the Bible that Jesus loved, the Old Testament. And I want to invite you into something that the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, to, to enlarge your understanding. I want to invite us all to enlarge our understanding of what Jesus did for us, what that means for us, 
by embracing the old as well as the new. Read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. Remember, it, it all points to Him. Take, maybe take a book of the Old Testament and ask the Holy Spirit to, to help reveal Jesus to you through that book. And actually, we're going to do that as of next Sunday. Uh, in the next series that we're starting next week, we're going to look at the book of Genesis through the eyes, through the lens of Jesus. The second invitation that I want to make is for those of us who, whether we're in person or online or even joining us some other point, maybe you feel like this morning your, your heart isn't right with God. Perhaps, perhaps you've previously been close to Him, but for one reason or another you've been trying to work it out on your own recently. Or maybe you've never actually accepted Jesus into your life and given control of your life to Him. Wherever you are on the journey, we don't have to do it alone. In actual fact, we cannot do it alone. We cannot be right with God as hard as we may try. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus makes us right with God. And we just have to accept that free gift and then watch as the Holy Spirit comes and completely changes our lives, transforming us to be more like Him. And if this is you today, I want want to pray for you and with you. So we're going to pray right now. And we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and I'm going to invite you, if, if that's something you want to pray with me, just to pray along in your heart as I pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have always loved us right from the very start, right from the very first moment you gave word and breath to everything that we know exists. You have loved us. Thank you that your desire has been for us to be in relationship with you. But to do this, we need to be made right with you, which we can see is completely impossible to do on our own. Thank you, Jesus, that by your sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the dead, you have become the righteousness that God desires for us. Jesus, I accept you into my life. I accept your grace, your love into my heart. And I ask that through your Holy Spirit, you transform me to become the kind of person you always wanted me to be. Thank you for making me righteous in your eyes. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer this morning along with me, we'd love to simply help you on that journey. And uh, whether you're joining us again in person, maybe you want to speak to someone, maybe just tell someone after the service that, hey, I prayed that prayer. 
maybe you want to come down the front and, and, and have a chat or pray with someone down here after the service. And if you're joining us online, uh, feel free to connect with the, the host that's there to help you. We just want to support you and encourage you and maybe pray for you and maybe give a couple of helpful next steps in your journey. We're going to sing in just a moment about what Jesus did for us. Um, but before we do that, we're going to um, join together in a special moment of reflection. And we do this really regularly at Door of Hope, where we take a bit of biscuit or wafer and some juice. And by doing this, this is a chance for us to reflect, to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, that he broke his body, that his body was broken on our behalf, that his blood was spilt on our behalf, for our hearts to be made right. And it's a chance for us to remind ourselves that we are right with God through Jesus, through faith in Him. But maybe a reminder that maybe we need to get right <laughs> with some other people. Maybe there's some things in our lives that we need to actually make right. And a chance for us to actually re-participate in what Jesus has done for us. That is, accept his free gift. The gift that he provides for us that makes our hearts right. So we're going to do that now. And uh, if you're just joining us as a guest and, and you're still not quite sure where you sit with God and Jesus and, and all that stuff, there's no pressure to, to do this. You can just maybe sit and reflect on what we've talked about this morning. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is our chance to reflect and participate in what Jesus has done for us.